I would like to welcome you to part four of the series that we have called Launch. And in this series, we are taking 12 weeks to look at the beginnings of the church. And Jesus launched this church uh, right after he rose from the dead. He demonstrated that he had risen and he uh, calls his disciples to go into Jerusalem and to wait until they are empowered from on high. And in week one, we took a look at how the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And uh, it came in power. Um, he was able to, Peter was able to stand up as he's explaining what just what had just happened. And there, um, 3,000 were added to the church that day. Well, then a few days later, Peter and John walk into the temple courts and there's this guy who's begging for money because he is crippled. He's been crippled his whole life. And Peter says to him, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he rises up. Well, this sets a uh, course of conversation. Uh, people are bewildered. Some are amazed. Some are rejecting. And they are warned by the chief priest to never speak in the name of Jesus again. Well, we last week took a look at when Peter talks to followers. And in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, we find this message that all things are made new in Christ, that we have been given newness in every way, shape, and form as we follow Christ. Well, today we're going to be looking at in, back in Acts chapter 4, right at the end of Acts 4, we find this message or this description of this new church. And I've subtitled the message today, um, The Beauty of Unity. The Beauty of Unity. We're going to be taking a look at how unified the church was as it had come together under the um, impromptu, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, this is really the fulfillment of a prayer that Jesus made. And several months ago, we, we were looking at some of the things that Jesus did. And there's one thing he did before he died on a cross, and that is that he prayed. And we get a record in John chapter 17 of this prayer that Jesus made. And I want to remind us of a few words that he prayed. And, um, and so John 17, listen to what verse 11 says. He's praying praying for the disciples here. And he says, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given to me that they may be one as we are one. And then we're going to skip up to uh, verse 20. And now he's praying for all of those who will believe the message that's preached by these disciples. And it says this in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, the uh, apostles alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And this is really the heart of Jesus as demonstrated in the prayer that 
his church would be unified. And today I want to take a look at a few things that helps bring unity into the church, and it did in the early church. Um, one of the first things that we see here is that they were united in prayer. And church, as we endeavor to fulfill and be a part of the fulfillment of this prayer of Jesus, that the body of Christ would be united, would be one, is that we would unite together in prayer. And um, this happened, you know, right after the, uh, the chief priest said to Peter and John, you are commanded to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And if you remember, they said, um, are we supposed to listen to you or listen to God? Basically declaring that we're going to listen to God regardless of what you have to say. And so they come back from this meeting and they're reporting to the rest of the followers, these new followers of Christ, what uh, they just said. And so let's read in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, as we talk about this united in prayer concept. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ." Verse 27, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, listen to this, and when they had prayed, they prayed this prayer, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So this is a prayer. This is a, a little lengthy prayer, and it talks a little bit about some of the history and what had just taken place when Jesus was crucified, and yet here they, they pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they would be, uh, have the boldness to speak the Word of God despite what may come. And I want to take a look at a few key features in this prayer that we can uh, draw from as we endeavor unity in our own expression of the body of Christ here at Rochester Life. Um, one of the things that they said here in this prayer is, you were God, you made everything. That's what they said. They, they said, you are God. And as we join together in prayer, we need to recognize who is God, who has authority, who is the creative one, who is the one we take our cues from. They declare, you are God. They weren't looking to other man. They weren't looking to some entity. They weren't looking to some denomination to tell them what. No, rather they said, you are God. You made everything. And then they go on to say, and God, you planned the crucifixion. 
He, he said there was um, Pontius Pilate involved. Um, there was uh, the Gentiles involved. There were people calling for your crucifixion. But what we find here is they were saying they were all pawns. They had nothing to do with whether you were crucified. They were just doing what you already had in mind to do. Um, they were nothing. This is your plan. You were sovereign. You had this thing planned out from the beginning. And what does that mean for us? When we are praying, we have to realize that, that the sovereignty of God is alive. It is real. That when we are going through challenging moments in life, we have to trust that God is in the middle of those things. And, and sometimes they're undesirable, but we say, Lord, this is in your plan. I trust you. I'm going to believe you and I'm going to pray according to your word. And then they pray this, your work will go forth in boldness with signs. They say that. They say you are going to see your work happen. There's going to be healings happen. There's going to be amazing things. And it's going to be confirmed by the Holy Spirit with signs and with wonders. And then they pray in Jesus' name that all of this may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They pray in the name of Jesus. Now, we need to realize that we don't just add in the name of Jesus as a tagline in our prayers. We need to realize that when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying uh, in the will of Jesus. We're praying out of an intimate relationship with Jesus. We're praying out of knowledge of how Jesus wants for us to pray. We pray according to His will and His purposes. And how do we discover that? How do we discover the will of Jesus so that we can pray in the name of Jesus? Well, we've got to know God's Word. We've got to know His heart. We've got to know what Jesus said. And so when we're praying, we're not praying according to our will. We're not uh, praying according to what we hope to have. And we're not even praying according to our felt needs. But rather, we are praying according to the, the will of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, according to what He wants. And that takes an intimate relationship, an intimate knowledge of Jesus. You see, God can say yes to every prayer we pray if it's done according to His will. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants for us to pray according to His will so that His answers can be yes. But that requires you and me to know the will of Jesus. So we need to align our prayers with the Word of God. We've got to align our prayers and we need to pray the Word of God more than we pray for our felt needs. We need to pray according to the Word of God more than we pray for our wants. And as we do, what begins to happen is our wants get changed more in line with Him. God said yes to this prayer of these disciples with the filling, and I'm going to actually go as far as to say the refilling of the Holy Spirit. You got to remember, these people that were praying this prayer were also the ones at least some of them were the ones that were praying on the day of Pentecost and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the mighty rushing wind came in and there was this evidence of something happened. And here we find nearly the same thing happen again. And it says that they're praying according to the will of the Father in the name of Jesus. They're praying for these things to happen and it is confirmed and they are filled with the Holy Spirit 
For some of them, or maybe all of them, filled again, and it's confirmed with a mini earthquake. It says that things started to shake, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is powerful stuff. This is the stuff that we want to see happen among us, that the Holy Spirit confirms a yes to our prayers because we're praying according to His Word, and it's validated with signs and wonders. Friends, this is what we need to be praying for, and it will happen as we pray in unity. And we can only do that when we're praying according to the Word of God and the will of God. Another thing that we find here is not only a unified prayer in the early church, but we also find a unified testimony, a unified message, a unified word that's going out from the church. In verse 33, Acts 4, 33, it says this, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So we find here there's this unified testimony. And what's that testimony? That Jesus rose from the dead. In court, there is great strength to a unified testimony. That one witness gives a testimony, another witness gives a similar testimony, and there's validation that comes because each of these testifiers have seen similar things. They might have unique perspectives, they might have a unique uh, story or, or thought on what happened or why it happened, but the facts remain, they saw the same thing. They're unified. There's great strength in that testimony in court. And this group that was forming and coming and becoming believers and being called by the name of Jesus, um, there is this growing focus on this testimony that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, the resurrection from the dead is still the centerpiece of our faith. It is what unites us as believers. And we might attend different churches. We might sing different kinds of songs. We might uh, do church service a little bit different or maybe even on different days of the week. But all around the world, those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the unifying piece. It's what unifies us. It's what fills us with hope. It's where we put all of our eggs in the basket is that Jesus rose from the dead and in so doing, he offers us eternal life, eternal hope. It's what determines who is our brother and sister and who is not, who is merely practicing another religion. The difference is, is if they believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But there was a startling survey taken in 2017 in the United Kingdom over there in Britain. And you know what they found as they were asking, do you believe in the resurrection? That only 31%, 31%, Three out, of a, uh, three out of 10 people would say that they believe in the resurrection. Now, I'm not talking about any person. I'm talking about people who are called Christians in the UK in 2017 say they believe in the resurrection, the biblical resurrection. You know what? Only 57% of active Christians, those who say, I'm actively going to church, I'm actively a follower of Christ, only 57% said they believe in the biblical account of the resurrection. I'd like to submit to you, though, 
that 100% of believers in Jesus, Christ followers, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And that is that that is what defines you as a follower of Christ, whether you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That is what defines you as a believer. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian. It doesn't matter what you do in your religious faith. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you are not a follower of Christ a genuine follower of Christ. You are not one who has hope of eternal life. It requires that you believe in the resurrection. It's a unified testimony. And that's what these early church believers had, is they had this unified testimony that Jesus rose from the dead. But what else are they unified in? They're unified in their prayer. They're unified in their testimony. But here we also find they're unified in their generosity. And this is interesting. Um, this might push us a little bit. Let's read what's going on in Acts 4. And we're going to read verses 32 and then 34 and 35. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had these things in common. Verse 34, No, was there anyone among them who lacked? For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. We're going to be talking about this story more full the following week here, next week. But I want for us to take a look just a moment at this unified generosity that's going on. Um, there is a level of sacrifice going on here, literally a sacrificial sellout. And this was a direct obedience to Jesus's words to these individuals. He was calling people in multiple verses that we've read or we will read um, that talk about selling your possessions and giving to the poor. Um, do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to put on, but rather see Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. And these early believers who walked with Jesus at this point in church history were taking him at face value. He, they were taking these instructions to sell what they had and give to the poor at face value. We find reference, you know, this kind of stuff in Luke 12, 33, Matthew 6, 33, Mark 1, 15, Luke 18, 22, people being encouraged to sell what they have and give to the poor. Now, I would like to balance this special experience in God's word with some teachings of Paul. Because Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 10, and 10 through 12, it says, But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing." So we're encouraged to work. We're encouraged to, to grow and increase. We're encouraged to be in position to help others out. To, that when people around us are in need, we're in that position. And so uh, the mindset that we need to embrace here as we take a look at this incredible 
sacrificial sellout that's going on is that the early church had developed this mindset that they are, um, that everything that we have is God's, that everything that we own, it's not ours, but it's God's. God can use it as he wishes. And this really comes down to a heart position. Um, it doesn't necessarily come down that you're supposed to take this message and read this experience in Acts chapter four, say, well, I guess we got to sell our house and give it all to the church or give it all to somebody. But rather you realize that everything that you own is God's provision and it's at God's disposal, however he wants to use it. Um, care for those among us. You see, there's going to be people that are among us continually that have need. In fact, Jesus himself said, the poor will always be among you. Jesus would have for us to have this mindset that everything that I have is for his working. Matthew 6, 38 says this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Here we are encouraged by Jesus that everything that we have is at the Lord's disposal. And in the same way that we want to be blessed by God, we are ready to bless. In the same measure that we use in our generosity is the same measure he will use in his provision for us. And then we also find in Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule, whatever you want men to do to you, also do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You see, we are to do to others as we would have them do to us if we were in their circumstances. So we need to have this mindset of a generosity. And you know what? This is so much better and easier when we do it in unity. When we together as the body of Christ are ready to use the blessings we have to be a blessing to those as they have need. And this, the opportunities, they come and go, the needs around us rise and they fall, and we are called upon at times to give of our time, of our talent, of our resources. God wants us to be a people that says everything that we have is for God's purposes. And so here's our prayer as we take a look at Acts chapter 4. Our prayer is, Lord, we want to be unified. We want to fulfill the prayer that you had in John 17, that we as your people would be one, one in so many ways, but that we would be one in our prayer, that we would be one in our focus, that we would be one in mission, that we would be one in our generosity, that, that we are one indeed. Would you pray with me that we would be one, that our church would be strong? And really what it's going to take is an intimacy with Christ, that we know him, we know his word, and we take our cues from him. And if we do that, we are going to see some powerful things happen. We are going to see the fulfillment and we're going to see the Holy Spirit come and he's going to validate us as a people, as his people, through signs and wonders and provision, miracles. It's pretty amazing that we get to be called um, God's children. Let's pray. Lord. This is uh, a powerful aspect that you put together in the early church. Lord, we see unity, Lord, and it is a beautiful picture that we see in Acts 4. We see a group of people, they, they cry out to you in prayer. 
And Lord, as they cry out to you in prayer, they declare their trust in you. They declare, oh Lord, that you alone are sovereign. They declare, Lord, that you um, do miracles and it's you that get the credit for it, Lord, and you validate this unified prayer. Lord, you validate it with your Holy Spirit's coming. Lord God, you take this church and Lord, you find them, Lord, with unified purpose and you see them, Lord, with a unified generosity, God. Lord God, I pray that you would do this amongst us in our church body. Lord, that you would unify us in heart, spirit, and God, that we would be a shining light in our community. Lord, a shining light in our world. And Lord, that at the end result would be people coming to know you and Lord needs being taken care of oh God Lord this is your church and we are so excited to be a part of what you are doing Lord we declare our belief in you we declare our belief in the resurrection oh God we have a unified belief a unified testimony Lord that you indeed are God and Lord I bless your church today may we be unified In Jesus' name, amen.